Amen. We're turning together this evening to the Gospel of John and to the chapter 14. The 14th chapter of John's Gospel. And of course that is a most familiar portion of Scripture, John chapter 14. And it's a chapter that we have been in uh, not so many weeks ago. We considered the also's in this chapter, but we're coming to the last section of the chapter, down to the verse 25, as we take up our reading, John 14 and the verse 25. And the Savior said, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye should rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Amen. May the Lord add his own blessing to this reading from his own precious and infallible word. Tonight I would draw your attention to the last two verses of the chapter, John 14 and the verses 30 and 31. And the Lord said there, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Arise, let us go hence. Then title the message this evening, Going the Way of the Cross. Going the Way of the Cross. And we find ourselves this evening back in John chapter 14. And what a wonderful chapter this is in God's Word. It's a chapter that is precious to each one of us this evening. It's a chapter that's full of encouragement. It's full of promise. It's full of comfort to our hearts. The Savior is here with his disciples. He's around the table with them. They have observed the Passover Soon they're going to go forward and 
They'll pass over the brook Kidron. They'll come to the Mount of Olives. They'll go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know what follows from the Garden of Gethsemane. The Savior is going to the cross. But here in this portion that we have read together, the Savior is speaking to his disciples. And you notice how in verse 26, he gives them the promise of the Comforter, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And what a comfort that would be to his disciples as their hearts are troubled at the thought of his departure, the promise of the comforter. Then notice in the verse 27, the promise of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And having given to them the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of his peace, he then relates again in verse 28 to the fact that he's going away. He's going to depart from them. And he said in verse 28, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And as they are going forth here, the end of the chapter, those words I emphasize, where the Lord said, Arise, let us go hence. They are going the way of the cross. And the Savior is going here to Calvary. And the shadow of Golgotha is now looming large over the Savior. He has more to say to them after John 14. He'll speak further in that 15th chapter. He'll go into chapter 16 with more to say. In chapter 17, there's the great high priestly prayer. And it would seem that these chapters were given as they're making their way there towards the Mount of Olives and towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And ultimately, as the Savior would be going to the cross. But this going forth was going the way of the cross. As we think about those two verses at the end of chapter 14, I want you to notice firstly here the anticipation of the cross. The Savior anticipates all that is before him, and he said in verse 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and doth nothing in me. And those words from the Savior, whenever you just think about them for a moment, those words are an indication to us that the Lord knew what was going to befall him. The Lord was able to say to his disciples, The prince of this world cometh. And that, of course, was a reference to the devil. 
And the Savior shows us in these words that he knew exactly what was coming. He knew exactly what was going to take place. It was no surprise to the Savior. The prince of this world cometh. That's a title that is given given to the devil three times in the New Testament. And they're all in the Gospel of John. If you were to glance back to chapter 12 and to the verse 31, chapter 12 and the verse 31, and the Savior said there, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And he was referring there to the devil. Then the next occasion in John's gospel is there in that 30th verse or text of Scripture. But the third occasion when the Savior uses this particular title is in chapter 16 and the verse 11. And he says there, Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. And so the Savior is referring to the devil, to Satan himself, when he calls him the prince of this world. Of course, the apostle Paul used similar language in Ephesians chapter 2. And there in the verses 2 and 3, he said to the believers there, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. And you could read on there in Ephesians chapter 2 to see the influence of the prince of the power of the air, the influence of the devil in this world, and how the devil is able to uh, direct uh, the course of this world. He's the prince, he's the ruler of this world. In Ephesians 6, the apostle Paul also makes a similar reference in verse 12. And he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so there's that battle that we enter into with the one who is the prince of this world. And here in John chapter 14 and the verse 30, the Lord Jesus Christ says, For the prince of this world cometh. And the devil was coming to bring his assault upon the Savior. And it was the battle that the Lord Jesus Christ would go through as he hung upon the tree. It was the conflict of Calvary when the Savior said, The prince of this world cometh coming against the Savior. Notice in that 30th verse what the Savior states regarding his own character. The prince of this world cometh. And at the end of verse 30 he said, and hath nothing in me. And hath nothing in me. He's referring there to his sinless character 
O Satan himself, the devil, the prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ who could make that statement. We could never make such a statement. There's times whenever the devil would come against us as the roaring lion. And we do wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but those principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And the devil will come against us, but he finds plenty in us. But in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, he would find nothing in him. But when the devil comes against us, oh, we know, we know our hearts. And there's a heart that is still there uh, having that old nature. The heart that the devil is able to tempt and to entice. And the heart that the devil is able to draw away after sin and after the things of this world and after the course of this world. Our hearts are like the iron filings going after the magnet. Oh, there's a draw, that there, there's a pull there. And when the devil comes to us, our hearts are drawn away. We're drawn away after our own lusts and we're enticed. And so when the prince of this world cometh after us, he does find something in us. But when he came to the Savior, the Savior says, the devil findeth nothing, he hath nothing in me. You see, there was nothing within the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ that would be inclined after sin. But if we're honest tonight before God, there's an inclination in our hearts after sin. Therefore, when the prince of this world cometh after us, we have to be so careful. We're no match for the devil of ourselves. We can only submit ourselves unto the Lord and in the power of the Lord and in the power and value of the Savior's precious blood, we resist the devil. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, He hath nothing in me. The Scriptures would testify of the sinlessness of the Savior. And if you've never marked these verses in your Bible, I would encourage you to note them and to carefully mark them in your Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 22, Peter says of the Savior who did no sin. Now just think on those words. He says of the Savior who did no sin. And so he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and the prince of this world cometh. And the Savior said, he hath nothing in me. And Peter will also testify, he did no sin. The sinless Savior. In Second Corinthians, and the chapter 5, and there it's the verse 21. And Paul writes, For he hath made him to be sin for us. And then he says this of Christ, Who knew no sin. He knew no sin. And so Peter says, He did no sin. And Paul says, He knew no sin. 
And over in 1 John and the chapter 3 and the verse 5, and John writes, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And so there you have the apostles, Peter, Paul, and John, and they're all testifying of a sinless Savior. And Peter says he did no sin, and Paul says he knew no sin, and John says in him is no sin. And as the apostle wrote to the Hebrews in chapter 4 and the verse 15, he tells us of the Savior that he was tempted on all points like as we are, yet without sin. Oh, when the devil comes and he tempts us, it could never be said of us that we're without sin. But what a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here as we think of him in John chapter 14 and he's going the way of the cross, there's the anticipation of the cross. The prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. Then secondly, I want you to think about the acceptance of the cross here. Verse 31 John 14, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. And you would need to dwell on those words, and as you would meditate upon them, you would see that these words reveal to us the obedience of Christ. It's a relation to his submission to the Father's will. And he's saying there that the Father gave me commandment. The Father sent his Son into this world. The Father gave me commandment. There's the incarnation where the Father would send his Son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The Father's will was that the second person in the Godhead would come into this world. And the Savior was willing to submit himself to the Father's will. And you notice from that verse 31 that he was doing it there, not out of duty, but out of love. The love that he had for the Father. He says, I love the Father. And the Father has given me a commandment, and I do it. I do it. The Father's will for his Son was to send him into this world. And the Son says, out of love for the Father, I do it. The obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Theologians would speak to us about the active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. And very simply what that means, the active obedience of Christ is with reference to the law and what the law required and what the law demanded. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and he came to fulfill the law, he obeyed it 
perfectly, and he was the righteous one. That was his act of obedience. His passive obedience was his willingness to go to the cross, his willingness there to suffer. The sufferings, the rejection all through his time on this earth, which culminated there in the cross of Calvary, where he would shed his blood, where he would suffer and die. He would lay down his life. He was obedient. Paul said to the Philippians that he was obedient unto death even the death of the cross. In other words, there was complete obedience. The complete, full, and perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ is obedience to the Father's will, his submission to the Father's will. In John 6 and the verse 38, let me just read the words of the Savior to you. He says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The one who came down from heaven, he came down to fulfill and to obey the Father's will. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's saying that the world may know. There's a message here for the world. And the message for the world is that God the Father commanded the Son and sent the Son into this world. And the Son, out of love to the Father, was willing to come to fulfill and to obey the Father's will. And that the world might see that and the world might realize that. The highest proof of Christ's obedience to the Father is seen when he was nailed to the tree. There was a full and total acceptance of the way of the cross and a full and total acceptance of the Father's will that the world might see, that the world might know. There's the message today to a dying world, the love of God the Father and the love of God the Son and his willingness to come into this world and to die upon the cross of Calvary. And so the anticipation of the cross and the acceptance of the cross and thirdly, the advancement to the cross those words at the end of chapter 14, the end there of verse 31, the Savior said, Arise, let us go hence. And there is further evidence to us of the willingness and the obedience of Christ, knowing all that lay before him. He was willing to go. Knowing all that lay before him, Judas was going to betray him. He had said to Judas there in chapter 13 and the verse 27, that thou doest, do quickly. The Lord knew what was coming. He knew about the betrayal. He knew about his arrest. He knew that he would be scourged and beaten and buffeted and mocked and put to shame. He knew that he would be crucified upon that accursed tree. He knew that the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon him and he would be forsaken of the Father. 
He said, Arise, let us go hence. The advancement to the cross, his willingness to go. In Luke's Gospel, in the chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, down that chapter to the verse 51, it says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he knew what he was going to Jerusalem for. He knew that it would be there outside the city wall, that he would be crucified upon the tree, but he set his face steadfastly to go. The word steadfastly has to do with a determination. Nothing was going to deter the Savior from going to Jerusalem. It's in Isaiah 50 where there's a prophetical word there concerning the Savior, similar words to what we read there in Luke 9 and 51, but it says he set his face as a flint. Set his face as a flint. A flint is that rock that we know of, and it's known for its strength. It's known for its smoothness, and it's known for its sharpness. And there's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the rock of our salvation. And as he's saying to his disciples, Arise and let us go hence. He has set his face steadfastly and he has set his face as a flint. There's that strength. There's that resolve. There's that advancement to the cross. You see the sinless, obedient, and submissive Savior. There he is on his way. He's on his way to the cross. There's a readiness there to go the way of the cross. And finally, I want you to think about the application of the way of the cross. Notice there those words that I've been drawing your attention to at the end of the chapter where the Lord said, Arise, let us go hence. He didn't say, I must go hence. That would have been true. But he's speaking in the plural and he's speaking to his disciples and he's saying, let us, let us go hence. You see, the Lord wants us to follow him by way of example. In Matthew chapter 16 and in the 24th verse of that chapter 16, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In that sense, the Lord wants us all to go, to go the way of the cross. And he wants us all, in that sense, to follow him by way of example. Here we can see the Savior went forth out of love to the Father, and so must we. Arise, let us go hence. 
We must go forward for the Lord. The Savior went forth to fulfill the Father's will, and so must we. Arise, let us go hence. The Savior took up his cross by way of self-denial and by way of self-sacrifice, and so must we. Arise, let us go hence. Let us take up our cross and follow the Savior and seek to fulfill his will for our lives. He has not promised us an easy road. So often there will be difficulties. There can be many heartaches along the way. And even at that time, we can enter in to the fellowship of his sufferings. But there must be a willingness to go a willingness to go the way of the cross. Take up thy cross. And the Lord says, follow me. Follow me. Said of blind Bartimaeus, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord healed him in Mark chapter 10. And it says of him in verse 52 of that chapter, he followed Jesus in the way. He followed Jesus in the way. The noble women that were spoken of in Matthew 27 and 55 says of them, they followed him. They followed him. Oh, that we would know what it is to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Arise, let us go hence. David Livingstone has apparently said, I will go anywhere, provided it's forward. I will go anywhere, provided it is forward. May we have that same spirit as we would seek to go forward and to follow our Lord and Savior.